Good morning. If you got your Bibles, go ahead and open up to Exodus. Exodus chapter um, 13, starting in verse 17. We're going to be picking up, and we're, and we're going to move through quite a bit of Scripture this morning. Okay, we're going to move through uh, the end of 13, chapter 14, and chapter 15. So, okay, so we're going to move, but, but don't let that intimidate you, okay? I, I'm j- I just want to, uh, I want us to move through uh, the story of Exodus uh, passing through the Red Sea. I want us to pick out some points of that story, and then we're going to hang out just in Exodus chapter 15 this morning, talking about the posture of freedom. The posture of freedom, what it looks like to be a free person in Christ. What does it look like to live spiritually in Christ? What does my posture look like when somebody is, is if somebody comes into contact with my life, what, what should they walk away saying about me? What should they walk away saying about me? What does my life look like in this freedom? Because we just finished the Passover last week. We talked about how in Christ and through Christ, God has passed us over. Right? He has not counted our sins against us. There was, a, there was an atonement for us, and that was Jesus Christ. And so we have been passed over, and we have been set free. There's an inheritance that we are moving forward towards. It is our hope. It is eternity. It is what God has purchased for us in and through Christ. And so we have just been passed over, and and, and the 10th plague has happened, in which the firstborns of man and beast in Egypt were killed. That was the 10th plague. And now Pharaoh couldn't get Israel out quick enough, and so he sends them out, just like God had told Moses. I'm going to harden his heart. I'm going to raise up my mighty hand, and he's going to tell you to get out. He's going to tell you to get out. So be ready to move when he sends you, when I raise up my strong hand. So then we pick up, and at the end of Exodus chapter 13, uh, starting in verse 17, said, um, verse, verse 18, but God led the people around, so they're heading out of Egypt. God led the people around by the way of the wilderness to the Red Sea. Okay, verse 20, 21, and the Lord went before them by day in a pillar of cloud to lead them along the way and by night in a pillar of fire to give them light and they might, that they might travel by day and night. The pillar of cloud by day and the pillar of fire by night did not depart before the people. So God went before his people as, he, as they're leaving Egypt, as they're heading into the promised land, as they're approaching, they're going through the wilderness, God's presence went before them, directing them. A cloud by day, a pillar of fire by night. So God's presence is with them, guiding and directing them. 14, chapter 14. Verse 3, for Pharaoh will say of the people of Israel, they are wandering in the land, the wilderness has shut them in, and I will harden Pharaoh's heart and he will pursue them, and I will get glory over Pharaoh and all of his hosts, and the Egyptians shall know that I am the Lord, and they did so. Verse 5, when the king of Egypt was told that the people had fled, the mind of Pharaoh and his servants has, was changed towards the people. And they said, what is this we have done that we have let Israel go from serving us? So he made ready his chariot and took his army with him and took 600 chosen chariots and all other chariots of Egypt with officers over all of them. And the Lord hardened the heart of Pharaoh, king of Egypt, and he pursued the people of Israel while the people of Israel were going out defiantly. The Egyptians pursued them. 
all Pharaoh's horses and chariots and his horsemen and his army, and he he overtook them and camped at the sea. Verse 10, And when Pharaoh drew near, the people of Israel lifted up their eyes, and behold, the Egyptians were marching after them, and they feared greatly. So understand the stubbornness, the the, the, the stiff-neckedness of Pharaoh and his people. God had just just performed the ten plagues. These miraculous signs had just killed all the firstborns. There was this loud cry in Egypt because of the justice of God on, on behalf of their disobedience. And so he, he, they, they couldn't, Pharaoh couldn't stand it any longer. He knew he wasn't going to prevail and he lets Israel go. But not long after he lets Israel go, he changes his mind and goes, oh, this was an economic mistake. Who's, who, who's going to work now? Who, who, who's going to build my monuments Who's, who's going to prop up my glory? This is a mistake. Changes his mind and decides, let's go pursue him. Let's go bring him back into slavery. And I just want to say this to you this morning. Understand that your journey, your spiritual journey to freedom, there's not a point. There's not a point where temptation is absent. There's not going to be a, a point where you float around on a cloud and everything is easy and there's no trials and there's no difficulties. There's not a point where you will not be stretched in your journey to freedom. Understand that. And it's purposed. The reason why we don't float around on a cloud when we become saved in our, in, in our, in our spiritual freedom is because God loves, God loves discipline. He loves to teach us. He wants us to grow in his image. It's for purpose. The things you experience in your life are purposed. Because this Pharaoh changing his mind and, and chasing the Egyptians after he had let him go was purpose. Because God is going to, we're going to see here in a minute, God is going to use Pharaoh's hard heart to further confirm and affirm and show his power to his people. He's going to use that. He's going to use that trying time of, oh, we finally got out of Egypt. Oh, but here they come again. Right? He said that they, were, they, they, they feared greatly again. Oh, here they come. It's, it's just this, this, this cycle. We're just on this cycle. And God's saying, no. I'm going to use that for your benefit. Watch. Trust me. And so in our spiritual freedom, in this journey, understand there will always be something pursuing you. Satan is going to pursue you. Verse 10, and when Pharaoh drew near, the people of Israel lifted up their eyes, and behold, the Egyptians were marching after him, and they feared greatly, and the people of Israel cried out to the Lord. Well, they, they did. It's just like, oh, Moses, hey, I understand why you brought us here. I understand. There wasn't enough graveyard. There wasn't enough grave sites in, back in Egypt. There, there, there wasn't enough land for us there. Because we're about to die, you know. And so you brought us out here, and we're, we're going to get buried in the wilderness. We understand. We understand. And, 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 and listen 
Listen to what Moses says. As these people were complaining, as their fear is placed back in the Egyptians. And Moses said to the people, fear not. Stand firm and see the salvation of the Lord, which he will work for you today. For the Egyptians whom you see today, you will never see again. The Lord will fight for you, and you have not only to be silent. Fear not, stand firm, see the salvation of the Lord. Be silent, for the Lord will fight for you. Maybe some of us, our posture and freedom needs to, needs to be silent. As we watch God reconcile out his salvation plan in the midst of the things that we're going through, maybe the best thing for us to do is to sit in silence and to watch. Because we've scratched and clawed on our own long enough, and now God says, fear not, stand firm, be silent, watch my salvation plan. Watch me reconcile this in your mind. I know you don't have it figured out, and it's causing all this anxiousness inside of you. Be silent and watch how I will reconcile this for you. God says, I will have glory over Pharaoh and all of his hosts. I will have my glory. Be silent. Stand firm. Then verse 19, then the angel of God who was going before the host of Israel moved and went behind them. And the pillar of cloud moved from before them and stood behind them, coming between the host of Egypt and the host of Israel. Understand that God up until this point had been leading Israel from the front. And now they're encamped, about the, they're, they're encamped at the Red Sea and they, they see the Egyptians coming. And they start to fear. And so God moves from in front of them to behind them. This pillar of cloud, his presence moves from in front of them to behind them. So one of the things that you need to understand is that God sees your blind spots. What you don't have vision for, God has vision for. What you can't see coming and hits you like a tidal wave, God saw coming. He moves from in front of them to behind them. Verse 21, then Moses stretched out his hand over the sea, and the Lord drove the sea back by a strong east wind all night and made the, and made the sea dry land, and the waters were divided. Verse 24, and in the morning watch the Lord in the pillar of fire and of cloud looked down on the Egyptian forces and threw the Egyptian forces into a panic, clogging their chariot wheels so that they drove heavily. And the Egyptians said, let us flee from before Israel, for the Lord fights for them against the Egyptians. So Moses raises his staff, God blows and the seas apart and they enter in, 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 onto dry land in the middle of the sea and God says, move forward, go ahead, this is the way in which I am leading you. And the pillar of cloud is behind them and it is separating the nation of Israel and the Egyptians chasing them and they were not, they were not able to close in. And then notice says, when the morning came and in the morning watch, The Lord threw them into a panic. Understand in your spiritual journey, in your journey to freedom, God is on watch. He goes before you. He's behind you. He sees your blind spots. He's on watch. It's personal. He hasn't forgotten you. 
He hasn't forgotten you. He's on watch. He throws them into a panic and clogs their wheels in which they, 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 they couldn't catch up. They move slowly. Then the Lord said to Moses, verse 26, stretch out your hand over the sea that the water may come back upon the Egyptians, upon their chariots, and upon their horsemen. So Moses stretched out his hand over the sea, and the sea returned to its normal course when the morning appeared. And as the Egyptians fled into it, the Lord threw the Egyptians into the midst of the sea. The waters returned and, and covered the chariots and the horsemen of all the hosts of Pharaoh that had followed them into the sea. Not one of them remained. God will have his glory. But the people of Israel walked on dry ground through the sea, the waters being a wall to them on their right hand and on their left hand. So I get this visual in your mind. God's people are heading through the Red Sea. On the right is a wall of water. On the left is a wall of water. Behind them are Egyptians who are coming to put them back in slavery. And if you can identify with this picture in your mind, I know I can. It's I got chaos on the right, I got chaos on the left, and behind me, Satan's pursuing me. I understand that picture. But God says, be silent. Stand for, move forward. My presence is with you. You can rest on that promise. My presence is with you. My cloud is behind you. I have told you to move forward. Thus says the Lord, saved Israel that day from the hand of the Egyptians, and Israel saw the Egyptians dead on the seashore. So as I'm passing through the Red Sea, as I'm passing in this journey of life, I get to the other side. And just like Israel saw the Egyptians wash up dead on the, so, on the, on, on the shore, there are things in my life, because God has led me to freedom, because he has redeemed my life, there are, there, there are things in which I stand up here today and, and, and I see these, the, these old areas of my life dead now. It's as if they had washed up. That's no longer me. God has delivered me from that. He has delivered me from that. And I'm thankful for that. Because if, if the wages of sin is death, I was surely a dead man. And so I'm thankful now I get to look at the corpses of these old habits and things in my life, these ungodly things in my life, and that doesn't mean I stand up here a perfect man. No, 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 that's not what it means. It doesn't mean that I don't, I don't have temptations and I don't have sin. That's not what it means. But it means I'm a new creation. It means God has taken out the old harder stone and has put in a new one. And so I'm not identified by those things anymore. I'm identified by Christ who is in me. Those things are no longer because God's strong hand has risen up in my life and he has redeemed me and it has nothing to do with me. I'm like Israel on the shore going, we're done for. I came to a point in my life where I'm like, I'm, I'm done for. 
Dig my grave. God has redeemed my life. Redeemed my life. And I'm thankful for that. And so as I look at my life, you know, how, how, do, we, how, how do we make these songs personal? The songs we just sang, how do we make them personal? What a beautiful name, right? It's one of the lines of the song. What a beautiful name. Well, you got to uh, think about in your own life. This is not just a line, but there's an experience, an encounter I've had with God in which he he, he was beautiful. Oh, what a powerful name. We have to stop and think about times in our life where we go, yes, that is the, the redeeming power of God. That can only be explained by God. Great are you, Lord. For that not to just be a line on the screen, you have to, we have to sit here in this place and go, God, how, are you, how, how have you been great in my life? We have to stop and think about the greatness of God in our life. Because I'm going to be honest, the posture of freedom is worship. The posture of freedom is worship. And what I mean by that is that God has redeemed you and set you free. And he says back earlier in Exodus, I'm drawing my people out of slavery so that they may serve me, so that they may worship me. The The reason why, the reason why God has purchased your freedom is so that you may worship him. And that's not an arrogant thing on God's behalf. You know what it is? No, God wants you to worship him because he created you to worship him. And so he's, what he's doing is saying, I know how you will find satisfaction and fulfillment in your life because I made you and you will find satisfaction and fulfillment when you worship me because that's what I made you to do. And so he draws us, he draws us out of our slavery, out of our oppression, so that we may worship him. And so think about that this morning. Did, did, did we come and gather as God's people to go through a th- three songs this morning because it's our duty to worship? Yes, it is. God commands us to worship. But did we come in here thinking, yes, this is a ritual, this is a duty of coming to church? Or did we come in here and during these three, these three songs, did you look at your life about how God has redeemed your life and go, this is my response to that? Because worship is the human response to a divine initiative. Meaning it is your response to what God has done in your life. It is your response to who God is, his nature. Worship is the response to God's nature and his acts. And so when you think about, when you, when, when you, when, when you give worth to God, what does that look like for you? Is it, a, is it a duty for you? Is it a checklist for you? Yeah, got three songs, you know, then we'll move on with the morning. Or is it an authentic, natural response from realizing I've come to the end of myself and I know that I was dead because the wages of sin is dead. And now I stand here in freedom only because God delivered me just like he delivered Israel 
When I had crap going on both sides, right and left, and the enemy was pursuing me, is my natural response to receiving, getting on the shores on the other side, is my natural response, God, you are worthy, and I will authentically praise you. Because that's what God created you to do. And that is the posture of freedom. Because when you ask just the practical question, why am I supposed to arrive at this place of spiritual freedom? It's so that we can serve and worship God. That's why he brings us to this place. And understand here in this story... Understand here in this story, God is, God, God is the one who brought Israel to freedom. It was his divine initiative. It had nothing to do with Israel. God is drawing us in to worship him. Understand that. He's drawing us in to worship him. It's not something, it doesn't mean that there's no discipline involved in worship, but it means it doesn't become something where we have to try harder to produce this worship of God towards God. God is drawing us in to worship him. And so, students, you got to ask yourself, and when we all got to ask ourselves this question, if God is drawing us in to worship him, how often during my day do I take the time to stop to look for his initiative? How often am I looking for God's activity or God's nature in the midst of my everyday life? Because if he's drawing and doing things in so that I can worship him, so that I can live out what he's created me for, how often do I stop and look for that? Or we just, keep, we just keep going by. Do we just keep going by? And so we talk about Sabbath all the time. Number of weeks down the road, we've talked about the need to sit and be still before the Lord, to spend time with the Lord. Because when we do that, we will see his divine initiatives, which will bring us to a place of worship. We have got to sit still. We have got to sit still. It's like this morning before church, I was sitting out in the truck here, and there's that field right there in front of John Nowen, and there's this bird hopping around in the grass. He's picking up worms, picking up food, and dude just looked happy. I mean, he had vertical, just popping around the yard, picking up food. And I just, in that moment of stopping and just being silent and observing, I'm just reminded of the passage I feed, I feed the birds of the air. I clothe the lilies on the ground. Will I not take care of you? Because that is my nature. And so that, that, that evokes a response in me of worship going, yes, yeah, you will. You will take care of me. I'll rest on that promise because you feed the birds who do not store up for themselves, and you clothe the lilies from the hot sun in which they have no protection from. Yeah, I'll trust you. I'll trust you. We have got to stop and look for God's initiative because he is drawing us into himself so that we can worship. 
Is that our posture? Because that's the posture of freedom. It's not a duty. It's a response. It's a response to God. And that's what you see happen here in Exodus 15. Israel gets to the other side. They see the Egyptians, the dead Egyptians, wash up on the shore, and they break out in song. They break out in praise. And I just want, I want to read this song to you because it's powerful. It's powerful. I will sing 15, 1, then Moses and the people of Israel sang the song to the Lord, saying, just, just think about it for a second. What are you singing? What song are you singing? And who are you singing it to? And what would be the words of your song? You want something to ponder on over this memorial weekend? Think about that. What song am I singing? Who's it being sung to? What would the chorus be? Look at your life. Take some time to stop. And think about who am I singing to? What's the song of my life look like? I will sing to the Lord, for he has triumphed gloriously. The horse and and his rider he has thrown into the sea. The Lord is my strength and my song. This is my God, and I will praise him. And look how personal that is. Understand how personal this is. I mean, put yourself in the Egyptian shoes. They see the, the dead bodies of the Egyptians right, coming up on the shore, and they're singing, and one of the lyrics of the song is, this is my God. It is so personal for them. This is my God, and I will praise him. My father's God, and I will exalt him, meaning this was my father's God too, which means he's unchanging. He never changes. The Lord is a man of war. The Lord is his name. The Lord fights for you. Pharaoh's chariots and his hosts he cast into the sea, and his chosen officers were sunk in the Red Sea, and the floods covered them. They went down into the depths like a stone. Your right hand, O Lord, glorious in power. Your right hand, O Lord, shatters the enemy. In the greatness of your majesty, you overthrow your adversaries. You send out your fury. It consumes them like stubble. At the blast of your nostrils, the water's piled up. How great is that line? At the blast of your nostrils, God, the water's piled up. Talk about the power of God. I mean, I can blow boogers, but I can't, I can't part the Red Sea with my nostrils. I mean, that's insane. At the blast of your nostrils, the waters piled up. The flood stood up in a heap. The depths congealed in the heart of the sea. Because this is what the enemy says. The enemy said, I will pursue you. I will overtake. I will divide the spoil. I will draw my sword. My hand shall destroy them. But God, you blew with your wind. The sea covered them. They sank like lead in the mighty waters. Have you looked at the, the things that God has redeemed you from? And you just stop. You said, man, God, you've caused those things just to, just to sink in the water. Like lead. You buried them. 
And that's my response to that. That's worthy of praise, God. That is worthy of praise. The posture of freedom is worship. Verse 11, who is like you, O Lord, among the gods? Who is like you, majestic in holiness, awesome in glorious deeds, doing wonders? You stretched out your right hand, the earth swallowed them. Here, here's, here's the reason. Here's the reason why God is drawing us. You have led us in your steadfast love. You have led us in your steadfast love. The people whom you have redeemed. Understand, God is drawing us. He's drawing us. He has led us with his love. Deuteronomy 131 says, God has carried us all along like a father carries his son. He has carried us. He has carried you. In his steadfast love, he has carried you to the point of where you sit today. He's drawing you in to worship. And his love redeems Verse 17, you will bring them in and plant them on your own mountain, the place, O Lord, which you have made for your abode, the sanctuary, O Lord, which your hands have established. The Lord will reign forever and ever. Here's the reality. God has drawn us home. Spiritual freedom in Christ is home. For Israel, it was Canaan. Spiritual freedom is home. When Christ is in you, you are home. Because Christ in you means eternity. You are now with God. You are in the presence of God for eternity. You are home. He has drawn you into his sanctuary, his abode. You are home. In your spiritual freedom, there is home. How do we get into worship? How does worship become the posture of our life? It starts with being still. It starts with focusing on God. Because John 4.23 says that we will, there comes time, we will worship in spirit and truth. We will worship in spirit and truth. Which means that truth part means that in order for us to worship in truth, we have to understand the nature of God correctly. Which means we don't get to just pick and choose parts of God that we worship because those are parts that we agree with. Worshiping in truth means I'm worshiping all of God and which is pictured in his word to us in the Bible. So how do I get into worship? Well, if we're to worship in truth, it means before I can worship, maybe I ought to spend time knowing the person that I'm worshiping so that I can worship him in truth. So maybe before you come in here and worship on a Sunday morning, maybe you should show up 10 minutes early and get in this passage before we start worship, so that when worship comes, you may worship in truth, you may affirm, yes, that is who God is, because that is what he says. I will worship him in truth has to be our posture, not with what we agree with, but all of who God is. His love, his justice, his sovereignty, his mercy, 
his discipline. We have to, we, we, to, to worship is to, is to have all of that, not just parts that we agree with. We worship in the spirit. What does that mean? And be honest with you, we cannot worship. If Christ is not in us, if, if we are not, if we have not put our trust in the Son of God, if we do not believe in who he says he is, if we are not disciples following Christ, if Christ is not in us, we will never be able to worship. Because in order to worship in spirit, the spirit has to be present. And so you will just, it will be a manufactured thing in our life. Worship will be a manufactured thing, ritual that we do. To worship in spirit means the spirit of Christ in you connects with the Father. That is authentic worship. Which means we have to take time to be still, to listen to that spirit. To connect. We will worship in spirit and truth. The fruits of worship. What is the fruit of responding to God's initiative in our life? Obedience is the fruit of worship. Obedience is the fruit of worship. If you're sitting here this morning and you're like, for whatever reason, I cannot get out of my own freaking way. I do, I, I do what I know I shouldn't. And I can't do what I know I should. I cannot get this obedience thing right. I cannot get out of my own way. When's the last time you stopped, you were silent, you stood before the Lord and you worshiped? Because just like worship is a response, obedience is a response to God. Obedience is a response to God. It is the byproduct of worship. When's the last time you stopped and worshiped God? You came to the end of yourself. You submitted. And you gave worth to the creator of the world. Out of that comes obedience. And there's a desperate cry. There's a desperate cry for God's people to be obedient in the community and culture we live in today. Verse 14, the peoples have heard, they trembled, pangs have seized the inhabitants of Philistia. Now are the chiefs of Edom dismayed. Trembling seizes the leaders of Moab. Those are the people that were living in Canaan. And they, 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 they heard what God had did for God's people. And they were fearful. They stood still. What would it be like if we became a people who worshipped God out of our response of gratefulness? And then that worship led us to obedience 
out in the community. And then people in the community see that obedience and go, what is that? Why does that person love so well? Why is that person free? The fruits of worship, godliness. When you put yourself in a posture to worship God, it's like the potter takes his hands and he just molds you. When you put yourself in a place of submission, the potter molds you. How he sees fit. And that always looks like godliness. And that's our pursuit as the children of God, is godliness, obedience. And we have to become a people of worship. Because we have to take the time to look at what has God done in my life? What is my response to watching my old self roll up on the shore? Now in freedom. Worship is evoked by the nature of God. Not by your favorite song, not by the band, not by your favorite singer. It's evoked by God. Because it doesn't take song to worship God. You can worship God in silence. You can worship God in deed. That is the posture of freedom, is worship. So today, think about what song am I singing? Who am I singing to? What would the chorus say? What would it say? Let's pray. God, as we sit still, we're reminded of the initiatives that you've done in our life. The things that you have redeemed us from the things that you're moving us toward. And we're grateful. And God, I pray that our gratitude as we sit and we think about those things, our gratitude would lead us, lead us to a place of worship. Because that's what we were made to do, God. We were made to worship you. You set us free so that we could serve you. Not ourselves. Not ourselves, God. You say in Galatians that we're to use our freedom to serve and love, not for selfish gain. And so you've set us free so that we could worship you and serve you and love you. God, help us to be a people who are marked by that so that when we go out in the community, We are a testament to your nature, your redeeming power, your love. Because God, when we miss miss worship, when we miss your nature, when we miss what you've done in us, we just become a people of problems, God. We don't want to be a people of problems because you didn't create us to be a people of problems, but a people of freedom. 
And God, when we lose sight of you, that's what we become. That's what I become, God. I become a person of problems when I lose sight of you. And therefore, I'm not a testament to you, God. So help me sit still. Help us sit still so that we can reflect your nature wherever we are at. God, we thank you for who you are and what you've done. Amen. Hey, before you go, I just want to remind you some, some, some things, like Scott said, we're leaving for Jamaica next week. And so maybe part of, your, part of your stillness over the next week, you know, looks like praying for one of the students going. Okay? Cover us, go before us in prayer. All right? Enjoy the sunshine. It's going to be hot, so find a pool. All right? If you don't have a pool, Chad Sipes just put a pool in his house. Okay? And Chad Sipes, he said, I put this pool in so I could do ministry and have people over. All right? So make him put his money where his mouth is. Okay? Enjoy, enjoy the weekend with the family. Enjoy the sun. Live in freedom. Take some time to worship. All right? We'll see you.